You are listening to Episode 7 of Stoicism on Fire. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Fisher welcoming you to the Stoicism on Fire podcast, where the ancient practice of Stoic philosophy as a way of life and rational form of spirituality is still alive. Today's podcast is an introduction to the concept of Stoic spiritual exercises. Over the next few episodes, I will be covering three spiritual exercises, the discipline of ascent, the discipline of desire, and the discipline of action. These three exercises, or disciplines, are the core of what I call the path of the Prokopton. In episode 5, I covered the concept of attention, or prosoche. In episode 6, I covered what is and is not up to us, which is commonly called the dichotomy of control. As I noted in that episode, Pierre Hedo refers to these as the fundamental Stoic spiritual attitude and the fundamental rule of life, respectively. Together, they constitute what Hedo calls the Stoic moral attitude, which is the attitude a Prokopton takes toward all the events that occur in life. The Stoic spiritual exercises are the practices that develop that moral attitude and lead us farther along the Stoic path toward an excellent character and well-being. Those who are familiar with the writings of French philosopher Pierre Hedo will recognize the concept of spiritual exercises. It is a constant theme in his books. He did not invent it. However, he applied that term to ancient philosophical practices and thereby illuminated the meaning and significance of those exercises. Prior to Hedo, the idea of philosophy as a way of life had largely been lost. Modern academic philosophy deviated so far from the concept of philosophy as a way of life that a 2016 critique was able to highlight the pathologies of contemporary academic philosophy and point out its complete abandonment of the philosophical practices of Socrates. The authors of that critique write, Universally venerated by contemporary philosophers, the actual philosophical practices of Socrates is rejected or ignored. Socrates could never get a position today in a philosophy or any other department. End quote. This divergence from the philosophical practices of Socrates is important to 21st century practitioners of Stoicism for two reasons. First, Socrates is the grandfather of Stoicism, and his way of life served as a model for the ancient Stoics. As I noted in episode 4, Zeno, the founder of Stoicism, was inspired to follow the philosophical way of life after reading about the life of Socrates in Xenophon's memorabilia. That portrait of Socrates inspired Zeno to ask, where can I find men such as these? Second, the path of the Stoic Prokopton is a spiritual practice. It relies on the transformational power of these spiritual exercises that are largely, if not wholly, ignored by modern academic philosophers. Even where Stoicism is taught in academic environments, it is unlikely that any attention will be paid to these practices. Modern academia has little, if any, tolerance for anything considered spiritual. That is why it was necessary for Pierre Hedo to reintroduce the modern world to the spiritual nature of the ancient philosophical way of life. Philosophy as a way of life is so radically different from the mind-numbing, logic-chopping positivism that turns many people away from philosophy that it belongs in a different category entirely. As Michael Chase wrote in the introduction of a published set of essays honoring Pierre Hedo, quote, Hedo's work, 
written in a plain, clear style that lacks the rhetorical flourishes of a Derrida or Foucault, represents a call for a radical democratization of philosophy. It talks about subjects that matter to people today from all walks of life, which is why it has appealed, arguably, less to professional philosophers than to ordinary working people and to professionals working in disciplines other than philosophy, end quote. If you doubt the difference between Hedo's approach to the ancient Stoics and that of modern academia, here's an experiment. Read and compare two books, both published in English in 1998, and both dealing with the application of Stoicism in the life of a practitioner. The first book, written from the perspective of modern academia, is Lawrence Becker's A New Stoicism. The second book is Pierre Hedo's The Inner Citadel. The contrast between these views of Stoicism highlight the problem with modern academic philosophers attempting to apply Stoicism to daily life. Becker abandons the worldview of the Stoics because from his modern academic perspective, quote, a credible work of ethics, end quote, cannot include the Stoic teleology, which is the providential worldview. In contrast, Hedo writes, quote, what defined a Stoic above all else was the choice of a life in which every thought, every desire, and every action would be guided by no other law than that of universal reason. Whether the world is ordered or chaotic, it depends only on us to be rationally coherent with ourselves. In fact, all the dogmas of Stoicism derive from this existential choice. It is impossible that the universe could produce human rationality unless the latter were already in some way present within the former. The idea that universal reason exists and provides us with human rationality and the laws that serve as a guide for our ethics is wholly anathema to a modern academic like Becker. Therefore, instead of approaching Stoicism and its practices as the ancients intended, he demands that Stoicism conform to the worldview that holds sway over modern academic philosophy and makes it irrelevant to most moderns. The philosophical way of life is not primarily aimed at knowing, although that is certainly an essential part of it. Instead, the philosophical way of life is aimed at a mode of being. Its goal is the transformation of the self into the best possible human being we are capable of becoming. The Greeks called that state of human excellence erite. We translate that word as virtue in English. However, virtue does not fully express the concept of erite, which encompasses the whole human being rather than just ethical behavior. Hedo not only reintroduced the modern world to philosophy as a way of life, he also revived the practice of spiritual exercises, which predate the Christian conception of those practices attributed to Ignatius of Loyola. Interestingly, Hedo argues the spiritual exercises of Ignatius are, quote, Christian versions of a Greco-Roman tradition, end quote, that emphasizes ascesis. Ascesis is the philosophical practice or an exercise. So what does Hedo mean by the term spiritual exercise? Why did he choose to call them spiritual exercises instead of philosophical exercises or something else? In defense of his use of the adjective spiritual, Hedo writes, The expression is a bit disconcerting for the contemporary reader. In the first place, it is no longer quite fashionable these days to use the word spiritual. It is nevertheless necessary to use this term, I believe, because none of the other adjectives we could use psychic, moral, ethical, intellectual, of thought, of soul, 
covers all the aspects of reality we want to describe. End quote. In the passage that follows the one above, Hedo addresses three reasonable alternatives that might come to mind and explains why they are inadequate to fully describe the scope of these exercises. The first would be thought exercises. Hedo argues the word thought does not indicate clearly enough that imagination and sensibility play a very important role in these exercises. The next would be intellectual exercises. Hedo claims we cannot be satisfied with intellectual exercises, although such intellectual factors as definitions, division, ratiocination, reading, investigation, and rhetorical amplification play a large role in them. Finally, it would seem reasonable to call them ethical exercises. Hedo concedes that ethical exercises is a rather tempting expression, since, as we shall see, the exercises in question contribute in a powerful way to the therapeutics of the passions and have to do with the conduct of life. Yet again, he considers this too limited a view of things. Hedo argues that all of these are inadequate because these exercises, quote, correspond to a transformation of our vision of the world and to a metamorphosis of our personality, end quote. They address more than the practitioner's mere thoughts. They entail the individual's entire psychism. Therefore, according to Hedo, the word spiritual reveals the true dimensions of these exercises because by means of them, the individual raises himself up to the life of the objective spirit. That is to say, he replaces himself with the perspective of the whole to become eternal by transcending self. This brings us to the concept of our place within the whole. This concept of replacing our own personal perspective with that of the whole is a primary goal of Stoic practice. This theme is repeated frequently within the pages of Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. In 2.3, Marcus writes, Providence permeates the works of the gods, and the works of fortune are not disassociated from nature, but intertwined and interwoven by all that is ordained by providence. Everything flows from there, but necessity is implicated too, and the benefit of the whole universe of which you are a part. Now, for every part of nature, the good is that which universal nature brings, and which serves to sustain that nature. And the universe is sustained not merely by the changes of the elements, but also by the changes of the bodies compounded from them. Let these doctrines, if that is what they are, be enough for you, as for your thirst for books, be done with it, so that you may not die with complaints on your lips, but with a truly cheerful mind, and grateful to the gods with all your heart. The point of these spiritual exercises is to bring about within us this very same attitude we see within the writings of Marcus as he wrote to himself. Their point is to bring our thoughts, desires, and actions into agreement with the way things happen in nature. To live in agreement with nature as the Stoics proposed means to accept and even to love all events of nature because they are brought about by a rational will that guides the cosmos toward an end that is good for the whole. As Hedo points out, for the Stoics, the ideas of providence and destiny, together with the concept of the complete interpenetration of all parts of the world and of the loving accord between the whole and its parts, were enough to justify that attitude of loving acceptance in face of all that comes from nature, which constitutes the discipline of desire. Ultimately, this is about a choice, a choice that is up to us. Pierre Hedo calls it an existential choice and argues that it is the fundamental choice of the Stoics to see the world as providentially ordered. Certainly there are alternative choices, 
Many moderns choose, consciously or unconsciously, to see the world, the universe, as a random process that fortuitously, yet accidentally, created our universe and all the marvels within it, including our human rationality and consciousness. I grant that reasonable, rational people can look at the facts and infer that conclusion. However, I do not grant them ownership of the intellectual high ground from which they can condescendingly mock, disparage, ridicule, or simply write off as unworthy participants in dialogue, those who look at the same facts and come to a different conclusion. The ancient Stoics considered the facts of nature and concluded there must be some inherent reason and order within the cosmos. To them, it was simply unreasonable to believe that all the marvels of life including human reason, what we would call our consciousness, were the result of mere chance. They believed the cosmos was a rational organism with inherent meaning and an ultimate goal that can guide us toward a life of human moral excellence and well-being regardless of our external circumstances. They believed that we are capable of standing in the midst of life's inevitable storms, sickness, war, death, loss of loved ones, imprisonment, torture, etc., and accept that these events of nature have a higher purpose. They accepted that this is what nature must do to bring about the good end it seeks. Nevertheless, the Stoics did not simply accept the necessity of fate. They reached beyond bear and forbear. They stretched their arms wide, faced the heavens, and willingly chose to love all that the cosmos brought about. Like Marcus, once again, they said, Everything suits me that suits your designs, O oh my universe. Nothing is too early or too late for me that is in your good time. This is the same existential choice and resulting attitude that can be traced to Socrates, the grandfather of Stoicism, who stood before the men of Athens who had condemned him to death on false charges and said, You too must be of good hope as regards death, gentlemen of the jury, and keep this one truth in mind, that a good man cannot be harmed, either in life or in death, and that his affairs are not neglected by the gods. What has happened to me now has not happened of itself, but it is clear to me that it was better for me to die now and to escape from trouble. Referring to this passage, Hedo points out, the good person believes that the only evil is moral evil, and that there is no good but moral good, namely, what we call duty or virtue. This is the supreme value for which we must not hesitate to face death. The Stoic choice is thus situated in the direct line of the Socratic choice and is diametrically opposed to the Epicurean choice. Happiness consists not in pleasure or an in individual interest, but in the demands of the good which are dictated by reason and transcend the individual. And this is precisely where the spiritual exercises lead us, to the transformation of our self. The goal of these exercises is threefold. First, they teach us to use reason to see things in nature from a different perspective. The perspective of the whole, which transcends our individual interests. Second, from this perspective, we learn to relinquish the desires and aversions that cause us so much psychological angst. Third, these spiritual exercises teach us how to act appropriately toward the divine cosmos and our fellow humans. These spiritual exercises are the core practices of the Stoic philosophical way of life.
And this is where the work of Pierre Hedo can help guide us along the path of that transformation. As Michael Chase, the translator of Pierre Hedo's classic The Inner Citadel, writes, Through his study of the meditations of Marcus Aurelius, Pierre Hedo began to accord more and more importance to the idea of spiritual exercises as philosophical practices intended to transform the practitioner's way of looking at the world and consequently his or her way of being. These exercises involve not just the intellect or reason, but all of the human being's faculties, including emotion and imagination, had the same goal as all ancient philosophy, reducing human suffering and increasing happiness by teaching people to detach themselves from their particular egocentric, individualistic viewpoints and become aware of their belonging as an integral component part to the whole constituted by the entire cosmos. To that end, I cannot encourage my listeners too strongly to acquire and read the writings of Pierre Hedot. He tapped into the root of ancient philosophy to reintroduce us moderns to philosophy as a way of life. Academic philosophy abandoned this concept long ago and turned philosophy into ethical dilemmas, puzzles, games of logic, and a positivist form of rational discourse the ancients surely would consider little more than intellectual masturbation. Enlightenment philosophers initiated the process by banishing the soul of philosophy to the wastebasket of religion. They threw the natural religious impulse of humankind out with the bathwater of religion. Most of modern academic philosophy, following in that tradition, has made philosophy largely irrelevant for the average person as an aid to human transformation and well-being. The writings of Pierre Hedot return us to the original intent of ancient philosophy as a means to transform us toward the goal of human excellence. Therefore, within the show notes, I provide a list of books that will be useful as we proceed with the Stoic spiritual exercises in the coming episodes. I encourage you to read Hedo alongside the Stoic texts to reinforce these lessons. By doing so, you will most assuredly set your practice of Stoicism on fire. Thank you for listening to the Stoicism on Fire podcast. If you are interested in this ancient practice of Stoicism, you will find more resources at www.traditionalstoicism.com. If you're interested in the social media environment where this form of Stoicism is discussed, please join us on Facebook in the Traditional Stoicism group. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a positive review on iTunes. That helps introduce more people to this ancient spiritual practice of the Stoics. If you have feedback for me, please send me an email at chris at stoicism.com. Until next time, I hope you will continue exploring traditional Stoicism, where the cosmos is alive with the meaning and purpose of the divine, creative fire of the ancient Stoics. I wish you well and encourage you to keep your practice of Stoicism on fire.